Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. This is Dr. Kerry Gelb, uh, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. And today I'm with one of my favorite people and one of my favorite eye doctors in the whole world, Dr. Dorothy Hitchmont. She's brilliant. She's been a uh, teacher of optometrists for over 20 years. She's taught in like, four or five different optometry schools. She's won awards from the American Optometric Association, which helps people. She's always out there helping people helping people see better. Uh, welcome, Dorothy. Well, thank you, Carrie. And you're one of my all-time favorites, too. And congratulations on the film, Open Your Eyes. And thank you for being in the film. You were great in the film. My pleasure. And is there anything else about yourself that would you like to introduce? Yeah, you know, I get asked that question a lot. Um, and I'll simply share that I still see patients through a very holistic lens and practice what I call functional eye care. I also own a healthcare consulting firm that advises both startup um, and global companies about how to use data to create pathways to comprehensive health. Um, as you mentioned, I was in academic medicine for two decades prior to starting my latest company in practice. And one way or another, I also um, earned a level of expertise in lean health operations and government healthcare regulations through my lifeline, lifelong work as a patient advocate. So um, yeah, and that's the thing I would say I'm most proud of, but helping patients every day is my favorite thing to do. And that's what I love about you, and I've learned so much about you. I learned so much about eye disease from you. You're such a great educator and lecturer. So, and thank you really for being here. I want to ask you, uh, my first question is, people traditionally go to the eye doctor because they have a vision problem, they have trouble seeing. But there's a lot more than that. Why should people get their eyes examined on a yearly basis? Yeah, I love this question. You know, the eye is truly, it's a truly remarkable organ, right? There's that old adage that the eye is the window to the soul. Well, this is actually true in so many ways. The eye is one of the only organs that has a hole in it through which a story quite literally can be, can be seen. And we call it the pupil. And, the eye, and your eye docs can actually shine light into this hole, right, during an eye exam and literally see part of your brain. You can see the blood vessels that come from your heart. There are even electrical, electrical signals and other signs of stress in the body that we can measure in an eye exam um, that reveal, reveal very early signs of problems. I always say, and I always quote, I should say, that the eye is the canary of the brain. It's uh, something one of my best mentors used to say. And really, you can see signs of deterioration of the body and the brain by looking into the eye of all, at all this, and all the structures around it. Uh, in fact, over 250, I think, some odd diseases can manifest in the eye. Um, and it's not rare that your eye doctor has the first clue that something might be off with your health. So yearly eye exam is important. 
the eye is so complicated because it's made up of all these different embryologic tissues from the, from the eyelids all the way back to the optic nerve. When we're looking at the optic nerve, we're actually looking at the brain. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. As I said, the, the, um, the eye is the canary of the mind. Um, it's true. It's a mirror image of what's happening in the brain. Of course, as I mentioned, the heart. Um, and there are a number of different technological advances that are actually helping us understand that better and better. You're an expert on diabetes. I heard you give a wonderful lecture last year in 2019 on diabetes. Talk to us about the epidemic of diabetes. Yeah, well, epidemic, it, you know, we call it an epidemic, but at this point, it, it's, it's a global pandemic. It's, it's really a scary concept to think that the, the entire world is at risk for developing diabetes. And I'm certainly passionate um, about this topic because there's clear evidence that the disease can be prevented and, in fact, cured. We know that diabetes is associated with higher rates of cancer, Alzheimer's, heart disease, and these are all leading causes of death. So every provider really needs to throw their hands into the ring um, under this epidemic because so many people are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. Um, and the human brain, you know, really is perfectly uh, designed to, be, to become addicted to sugar. I, I repeat that over and over again, and that's what the public, that's what I want the public to know. Sugar impacts some of the same chemical pathways in the brain impacted by opiate drugs. We all know what a problem that is, but in terms of scale, the diabetes epidemic is killing millions more. Um, and so, you know, of course we have to pay attention to this. As I said, sugar is a powerful, it's powerful stuff. And most people don't even know that sugar is hidden in many of the foods um, of the standard American diet, so to speak. Um, they have trouble identifying what foods have sugar. There are over 50 names for sugar that are allowed in, in food labeling. I highly recommend that patients figure out these names. You know, um, there's a great resource. Um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite docs, besides you, of course, um, is Dr. Robert Lustig, I call him the sugar doctor, but he's an amazing um, pediatric endocrinologist who's dedicated his life's work to, um, you know, stopping, stopping the epidemic that we call diabetes. You can go to his website, um, I think it's Dr., uh, or it's actually robertlustig.com if I'm not mistaken, and there's an education section there. And I tell people, go, look, find, figure out what that list is of stuff and read labels. Um, people simply know that, that most foods contain sugar or simple carbohydrates. Um, you know, we, we can identify some foods, right? Bread, pasta, rice, desserts. Um, but most people don't understand this in most packaged food. In fact, the, the CDC can actually measure what we're, what we're consuming as a U.S. population. On average, um, considering how much sugar is used in our food, it's about 17 teaspoons a day. I mean, this is, nobody would intentionally do that, right? Nobody would intentionally do that. So um, it's, the threat is hidden in our food, and I encourage people to really, um, really pay close attention to that. And, you know, a really simple rule is to follow is more daily vegetables, some fruits, less meat, less sugar, right? 
ditch, ditch, the, ditch the packaged foods and all the soda. You can, you know, if you really want to get into this and you're motivated as a patient or quite frankly, even as a, as a doctor, I really encourage my colleagues to get on this train, uh, pay attention. Um, I would start with the book called Fat Chance by Dr. Lustig. So that's one of my, my recommended reads. He's done some incredible stu studies in San Francisco where he took sugar addict children's diets and looked at their biomarkers. Mm -hmm. And he found that their bio, I think their biomarkers got much, much better. Absolutely. This is a 100% reversible condition. I'll tell you, even my own mother, who has lived with diabetes for 40 years, was able to, after many years of having diabetes and many, many years, I think 10 years of being on insulin, was able to lose 55 pounds. I mean, this is, this is one of my favorite, of most amazing you know, patient stories. It's my own mother, and I'd love to take credit for it, but I can't because she just figured out a way you know, to motivate herself. And she came off her insulin, right? So this speaks to the body's uh, regenerative capabilities. I mean, she's, she's for sure is my favorite patient. Um, and you know, this is not some rare example. This is real stuff. So yeah, you can not just reverse the biomarkers, but the disease entity um, itself. So I'm hopeful. Well, that's fantastic. And if you could get your own mother to listen to you, I know I can't get my mother to listen to me, so <laughs> you are amazing. I'll swap you. <laughs> <laughs> so health insurance companies and, uh, and the government are encouraging patients to get their eyes examined yearly. Can you explain why and, and expand on that? Yeah, you know, there are a couple main reasons. And I'm going to put this in very simple terms and not get into all the, the weeds about how we uh, measure quality in the whole data world. But the bottom line is there, there are a number, or I should say numerous public health studies that show that the cost of performing eye exams is far lower than the cost to treat diabetic eye disease downstream. And the second reason is because vision loss from diabetes can be, as we just discussed, prevented and treated if caught early enough. And that's at all stages of the, the eye condition. So really no one, especially in this country, you know, should ever lose their vision from diabetes. Um, you know, sadly, sadly, right now, eye doctors are, are often one of the first to find signs of diabetes through an eye exam which is another reason to make sure you get your eyes checked yearly because this is a way to make sure this doesn't happen, whether you have no diabetes, pre-diabetes, or you've had diabetes for a long time. It's just, you know, it's something that I hope we will see as a rare, rare occurrence in the future. What can diabetes do to the eye? Well, you know, I get the question all the time, can diabetes actually cause vision loss or blindness? And the answer is absolutely it can. In fact, it's the leading cause of blindness in the working age population, which is, you know, not that we want anybody of any age to have vision loss, but if we start losing people in our working age population, which is going to happen if we don't do something about this epidemic, we're going to have people that can't function in, the, in this new world that's emerging around data and technology. They will not be able to read, see a computer. They'll need all kinds of adaptive devices, and the, their quality of life is just not going to be what it could be otherwise. Um, so that's something, you know, I think everyone, I think most people think this is not going to happen to them, right? 
They believe diabetes is something that happens to someone else. I think most people do not realize that simply being overweight sharply increases their risk for type 2 diabetes. Some people think it's an old person disease. I mean, and these misconceptions at this point can be deadly. Um, and we know the population's overexposed to the worst type of sugar, which is high fructose corn syrup, and this is just going to continue on. So if blindness doesn't motivate you to put the sugar down, I don't know what will. So yeah, people really need to educate themselves and understand who's at risk. Well, that's amazing. I mean, so when somebody comes to the eye doctor, what does the eye doctor do and what kind of technology can they use uh, beyond traditional instruments to see if somebody's at risk for diabetes, whether pre-diabetes or diabetes itself? Yeah, so I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to give you some long-winded answers. You know, the first thing your eye doctor needs to do is ask some pretty basic questions, right? We call it a medical history. You know, in today's world of what I call hurry-up care, um, those questions can easily be missed. Maybe there's not time for them, but this is why I like to talk directly to the public. Um, this is why I love your film. This is why I like this type of venue because, I, you know, this is going to be however long, but 40 minutes or whatever. And if a patient decides they're interested and they want to listen, or even one of our colleagues, it's a lot of time that we can spend talking to them. So I listen, folks. Here's the deal. Here's who it, who's at risk right? Half the U.S. population. So I'm just talking about the U.S. population. I'm not even talking about the global figures, which are also rather scary. Is at risk uh, for type 2 diabetes? So if you're overweight, if you're over 40, if you had diabetes when you're pregnant, if you gave birth to a baby over nine pounds, if you have a mother, brother, father, sister with diabetes, if you have metabolic syndrome or non-alcoholic fatty liver, if you're Latino, if you're a Native American, African American, little higher risk there um, but you know this disease does not discriminate um, so and you shouldn't be fooled if you don't fall into these categories right I see patients who are trans they think they have no relatives with diabetes they think they eat right and they still come up positive so you know just assume you're at risk is kind of kind of my, my, uh, my motto and if you know your risk or if you think you're at higher risk you must get checked eye exams, dental exams, a visit to your primary care doctor to get a blood test known as, known as a hemoglobin A1C uh, are essential for understanding your risk. And I encourage patients to actually educate themselves and watch for other things like classic signs. You know, this is the stuff that you learn in your medical training. You know, are you thirsty all the time? Are you hungry? Do you have chronic infections, but you can't, can't figure out why you have those? Um, I even do checks for high insulin levels on some patients because this blood test shows elevations in pre-diabetes. But the bottom line is get checked and do not let fear delay the conversation, whether you're the doctor or the patient. Um, you know, even just losing five pounds, for example, can delay the onset of full-blown diabetes by years. This is actually my challenge to anyone who might hear this conversation. and. Um, you know, I get asked sometimes about, you know, what are, what are some of the things that, that I know about diabetes that maybe the general public and even doctors might, might not know that can help them avoid diabetes, and I'm going to talk about technology. Now, years ago, some very bright um, Harvard researchers um, did a study 
that showed that people who drank the most soda, regular soda, were at highest risk for diabetes. And what those researchers did not expect to find was that people who also drank diet soda had a high risk as well. And there were a bunch of speculations at that time. However, it wasn't until recently um, that the likely reason was found. Um, there's actually substances in diet soda and also some of the fake fats on the market that actually kill the normal bugs in our gut, the stuff that naturally lives in our body, appropriately so, in our bellies, that help metabolize sugar. So now we have a bunch of studies to support this. And just this year, another study showed that diet soda, right? So you think you're safe. You're not drinking the soda with the sugar and the high fructose corn syrup. You're drinking this other stuff. But diet soda um, actually is strongly associated with the development of the worst type of diabetic eye disease. Now, I know that the, the diet soda industry might not like this. Um, but I, I really encourage everyone just to get off the soda. They are dangerous to your health. So that's my, here's what I hope everyone listens to. Um, taking my mother off soda was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. It was a six-year struggle. <laughs> I bet. Um, so, you know, and, and I don't want to go off too much on the tangent about gut health, but it's so important to overall health and this conversation and prevention of diabetes, I think it's something we should spend a little bit of time talking about, you know, because there's all this talk about gut health. And, and I stated earlier that the eye is the canary of the mind, but really the gut is what matters if you talk about, about, about preventing disease. Because when you ingest food or the stuff that we think is food, it either supports the good bugs that help us digest our food or it kills it. Those are kind of the two general pots of action that can occur. And without the good bugs, our food actually never really gets digested. It doesn't get absorbed into our body. Um, now, there's a bunch of reasons that might happen. Um, and you can literally eat all day, um, and the nutrients will pass through your body and never get absorbed. You know, there's food allergies, celiac disease, gluten intolerance, all these things that, that you're hearing about in the general. Um, general ether, um, but I put them all into this bucket called malabsorption. That means for some reason, your body's not absorbing the nutrients. So this is why you can get some people that don't fit into the buckets that they normally would to develop diabetes, but, but because of malnutrition, um, you know, they're, not a, they're, they're still developing the disease. In other words, something has gone wrong in your gut. And there are so many diseases that we have names for that really are just signs of malnutrition, diabetes, rosacea, anemia, certain types of dementia, Alzheimer's, irritable bowel, depression, are just a few that are more likely to be signs of gut problems opposed to the primary diseases that we've named, right? Now, this is not a lot of snake oil talk. This is important stuff, so important that the National Institute of Health is actually funded the Human Microbiome Project to the tune of millions. And there's hundreds of scientific discoveries that have already been revealed and will continue to um, help us figure out what to eat and how to make our bellies better. And that, that's one of the, the other major steps towards improving health and avoiding diabetes. Um, what would you, you recommend to improve the gut, the gut microbiome? 
Yeah. So, you know, obviously avoiding stuff that kills the good bugs, like I just mentioned, like diet soda, regular soda, but eating foods that, that you can recognize as foods and also eating uh, fermented foods or foods that actually help those normal bugs or the good bugs. I say good, you know, good witch, bad witch, good, good bugs, bad bugs um, thrive. So fruits and vegetables, it's the same stuff your cardiologist tells you. It's the same stuff that every philosopher in medicine has, has told us for years. Eat your fruits and veggies. Don't eat refined foods. Increase your fiber intake. Don't eat so much meat. Eat good fats, not bad fats, not big fats. That's it, right? I think the challenge is people don't even know what those foods are anymore, right? I was stunned. My, my youngest son said to me the other day, he goes, mom, you know, because he's always peripherally hearing me on these rants about health and food and, and all this stuff. And he goes, did you know that there's all these kids that don't even know what a tomato is? I said, what are you talking about, right? Because I'm so on high. So, yeah, you can't believe it. I was like, wow. So, you know, I went and looked. And I'm like, yeah, this is crazy. This half, you know, huge swaths of the population can't even identify a food that is really important our health in particular the eyes so you talked about prebiotics you know food that feeds the the probiotics the good bacteria in our in our gut and to feed the the good bacteria or get good bacteria uh you mentioned fermented vegetables where can we get those fermented vegetables and what are some examples so um you i would say most health food stores carry this stuff right? So if you don't have a health food store, find one. For goodness sakes, you can go on online now and order stuff from anywhere in the world and it shows up in a day or two. Eventually it'll show up by drone, right? Um, but an example are things like kimchi or, um, you know, any kind of fermented vegetable, pickled vegetable where, where, where bacteria are actually growing on the vegetable itself and then you ingest it. So, um, that, that that's not a thing that a lot of people eat are familiar with or that even like the taste of. Um, and so that's why you see a lot of action in the supplement world around selling prebiotics and, and probiotics. But I think you have to be really careful um, because I think some of those are, are, are not great. Um, you know, I have some resources on my website that might actually help people decide what's good. But, you know, I would say talk, to, I hate to say this, but, you know, talk to your friends and colleagues and talk to um, the folks at the health store. They're often really good um, resources for figuring out, okay, that's a prebiotic, that's a probiotic, these are the foods that count. Um, nutritionists are getting better and better at answering these questions as well. So let's talk about technology. You go into the eye doctor's office, the optometrist's office. He has imaging, he has OCT, they have visual fields. Talk about the different types of technology we could use to help early diagnosis of prediabetes and diabetes. Yeah, so, you know, I think what the public doesn't know um, is that there are all kinds of things that we can see during an eye exam that are indicators that a person's at risk for vision problems and health problems, right? talked about that already but um you know i try to tell every single patient as i'm looking at, at, at their eyes looking through their pupil that the eye contains some of the tiniest when i talk about the anatomy first i'm going to talk about the technology because i i think this will help people understand if they're 
if I don't talk too fast, like a New Yorker, right? Not to pick on the folks in New York, although I am in Red Sox Nation. Um, <laughs> um, that the eye contains some of the tiniest, most fragile blood vessels in the body. These vessels are highly vulnerable to what I call metabolic disruption. Um, things like high blood sugar, lack of vitamins and minerals, the presence of inflammation and infection can actually make these blood vessels that we see weaker, weaker. They can develop little weak spots, they can leak, they can show buildup of the stuff that the body produces um, to heal itself. This is a process cardiologists call atherosclerosis, and it causes the most common form of heart attack, for example. So we look in your eye, we can actually see these changes when we look through the pupil. This is why it's so important that, that this part of an eye exam is, is never skipped. You know, checking for an eyeglass prescription is only a test. It's critical, right? We need it to function, but it's not an eye exam. And it, it could have devastating, you could have devastating signs of an eye disease in your eye with no changes, no symptoms. If I could screen, quite frankly, one thing, you know, from the rooftops, um, the proverbial roof, rooftop, it would be get, get a real eye exam. That means you should have your vision checked, your eye coordination checked. This is highly indicative of brain function. And you should have a look beyond the pupil to the retina. I mean, you even did a study yourself using a special retinal test um, that revealed changes in the blood vessels of the eye that actually corresponded to the precursor of, of diabetes known as hyperinsulinemia. I mean, these, these are really, really important things. So you say, okay, that's what we, that, those are some of the things that we see. What are the technological advances that, that can help your eye doctor identify these things? Well, there are diagnostic machines, right? Machines that can help you make a diagnosis in your eye doctor's office today that I consider true technological accomplishments. We actually, Often the machines will use light because the pupil is a dark hole. You have to shine a lot of light through that hole to actually see what's in there, right? So light of a wide variety, sometimes called or referred to as multispectral analysis, can be shined across the entire eye, from the front to the back. And when you do that, you can actually see the earliest signs of, of diseases from dry eye to nearsightedness or myopia, to diabetic retinopathy, macular degeneration, glaucoma, and even brain diseases like Alzheimer's. Today, there are signs that I could not detect on my own without the help of this specialized light. And quite frankly, even some artificial intelligence is embedded in these devices. In fact, there's been artificial intelligence in a lot of these devices for years. So so I always say the IDOCs have, have a jump ahead on nutrition and technology. Um, and we're really, um, it's a privilege to be able to, to use these devices. So the terms that your eye doctor may use are things like ocular coherence angiography or wide field photography, mybography or aberometry, whatever the names are, you know, the reality is that these tests are highly accurate. They're now available and they can help doctors identify these abnormalities even before we can see the changes. There are even tests 
There's um, some tests, for example, electroretinograms can show early signs of brain dysfunction. And there's even a test called photostress recovery, with, and that will often show uh, abnormality long before, for example, macular degeneration can be seen. And I know we're talking about diabetes, but macular degeneration is actually the total overall leading cause of blindness in North America. So it's an important condition as well. And that test can be off in diabetes. And I spent most of my life actually studying macular degeneration. But also another lifelong clinical focus of mine is dementia, Alzheimer's, and quite frankly, brain injury, especially from my years, many years at the VA. It's important for the public to know that the brain and the eye are a single organ in essence. Like they're not two separate things. And if you have dysfunction in the brain, you can often measure this in the eye. This is the most exciting uh, development that's been happening over the last 10 years or so. There's actually a company who's doing a great job um, even doing um, uh, functional tests. Um, it's called Cognivu, and it's a test that you can actually take in your iDocs office that can baseline uh, well child check to make sure that it, so that you know where your kid's brain is. Um, perhaps they go play a high performance sport, they get a concussion, for example. You're going to know if there's dangerous um, changes after that test. Or it can uncover early signs of Alzheimer's or dementia. You know, there's something that I mentioned earlier called ocular coherence tomography. There's something called lens aberrometry. And that, those two tests um, can provide a lot of information about Alzheimer's in increasingly accurate ways. So, you know, the, the bottom line is the more information we can extract from the eye, which is a lot, the better insight we have into your health. No pun intended, of course. So, yeah, just a trip to your eye doctor. There's so much information that your eye doc has. You know, hopefully your eye doctor is discussing this information. Um, hopefully they're talking to you about, you know, hey, you know, there's these little blood vessel changes in the back of your eye. Um, has your primary care doctor ever told you that, you know, maybe you, you might be at risk for developing diabetes? Or have you been screened for atherosclerotic, you know, heart disease, the type of heart disease that causes, um, causes heart attacks? And um, often, no, because they may, may or may not fit the profile that all the guidelines that are published in traditional medicine might lead them to otherwise. So. That's why the, uh, you know, obviously I'm an eye doctor, I'm going to advocate for, for an eye exam, but there's some really cool stuff that we can see. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. How long do you think it'll be before somebody will be able to go to the eye doctor and the eye doctor will say, we'll do these tests, we'll do imaging or OCT and be able to say, you're at risk for Alzheimer's. There are things you could do to prevent Alzheimer's like reading Dale Bredesen's book, his 36 points to, uh, to do to try to prevent or even reverse Alzheimer's. How far are we away from that? Are we there now? I would say we're here now. It's here now. I mean, this is an area that I was studying at the Scapins 
more than 10 years ago. We could actually see these changes in the eye then, but now technology has allowed the changes to be better characterized and artificial intelligence overlays is actually being used now that you know allows us to detect these changes even earlier so what i am what, what will happen it's not just something i'm going to envision i'll tell you know have some ideas about what i think the eye exam in the future will look like but we can collect enough data now from the individual patient's eye scans if you will um, and the earlier we can do that, the earlier we can detect disease in that person. So when you take, when you pull that data, right, through artificial intelligence, through your own data collection, whatever, I think it will be artificial intelligence very shortly here. Um, but a doctor is still going to have to interpret that, right? You know, a lot of people are afraid of artificial intelligence, but quite frankly, it's just going to make everything better. When you pull that data across an individual, or a population, you can really start to predict who might be at risk in the future, right? Google even has an ongoing project right now, and they've been able to predict with a very high level of accuracy, just by looking at the back of the eye, the retina, is this patient male, are they female? Not only do they have high blood pressure, but what is their blood pressure within just a few points? Um, are they at risk are they at risk for a heart attack? I mean, high levels of sensitivity and specificity now. So those are the conversations that are here and are gonna happen on a more regular basis in the IDOC's office. And the data gathering effort is good. It will actually ultimately save vision. It's gonna save life. You're gonna get predictive biomarker maps, if you will, um, very shortly. There's even one company now that has an FDA approved program for autonomously detecting diabetic retinopathy. That means you can triage even more patients uh, in more places to make sure they get to their family optometrist for the highest level of testing and monitoring, right? You want the sickest patients to get the most care and the, and the most healthy patients to get the care and advice they need early in their life. And I think that's the holy grail in healthcare right now. Um, there's so even a, a device on the market now that uses light to uncover the metabolic health of the retina. So this is beyond stuff that we can even see right now. And that's going to let us have conversations with people who are at risk for blindness, blindness decades before they, they get the disease. I actually envision having conversations with 20 and 30-year-olds about their risk and what they can do now to prevent you know, these maladies happening down the road. Not everyone's going to listen, but it will. It is our obligation, you know, to um, to make sure that we inform our patients. So, what are the signs that the optometrist could see on retinal imaging that could give that could give us a clue that the patient may be at risk for Alzheimer's? And number two, what are some signs that we could see on OCT that will give a clue that the patient may be at risk for Alzheimer's? Yeah, so we talked a little bit about that, or I referenced that a little bit earlier, but you know, the key, the key findings are, these are from my colleagues, right? Um, blood vessels that have little outpouchings called microaneurysm, changes in the direction of the blood vessels, actual leaks in the blood vessels themselves. There's a substance that accumulates in the retina called drusen that can be highly indicative or associated with Alzheimer's, um, known as 
amyloid protein. You can also see that protein in the lens, um, the human lens. So those are just a couple, a few examples of what I see and what you see when we look inside um, the eyes of some of our patients that if we can see that, those are alarm bells, right? And then you have the conversation with the patient you know, about, about their diet, about their family history, about what they can do in terms of prevention. And then those are, you know, other additional long, long conversations. And what is the OCT scan? I know it's an instrument that could cause up to $80,000. And what could it do to help patients? What does the optometrist see using the OCT scan? What could it help diagnose and help detect? Yeah, so, so that's a really good question. Right now, I would say that OCT or OCTA angiography is the most sensitive test for seeing the earliest changes in the blood vessel on the back of the eye. Um, it's a very expensive test. I think over time that the test will get less expensive. Um, but the resolution, um, that the capability and the resolution of that machine right now is so amazing that you can see, that we can see these changes now that it would take, take in me or you five, 10, maybe even 15 years to see those changes ahead of what we can see now. So that's the most exciting part of OCT angiography or, or really quite frankly, other diagnostic tests that allow us to strip off the inner layers of the retina and really look deep, so to speak, um, at the tiniest, tiniest um, little details of the retina. In the film, we talked a little bit about multispectral imaging. We gave some examples. You're an expert on multispectral imaging. Can you tell us exactly what it is? You, you mentioned a little bit before, and by layering the retina, how could it help us when he could see the retina and could see the blood vessels at eight microns? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, you know, the reason that I like um, multispectral imaging, when I say that, I kind of use that term loosely, right? When you use a wide variety of different lights, and I'm, I'm, I'm not using the proper physics terms, but I think this is the best way to, to think about it and understand it. When you use a, or I should back up and say, the eye is so complicated. There are nine layers to the retina. And each one of those layers has a different color. Some of those um, tissues or layers are clear. Some of them are opaque. And if you don't use light to get around, literally get around or through some of those complicated layers, you can't see everything that's happening in the retina, which as I said before, is also a glimpse about what's happening uh, to your cardiovascular system in your brain, um, then you're not, you're not getting the best, best look at, at, at the eye. So multispectral imaging, literally, it's what I call a light dissection. It uses light to just kind of crawl all around these little spaces at very, very high resolution to help us, the eye docs, actually see those changes. Um, and, and, and look at those changes, see those changes, tell the patient so that they're aware of what their risk for disease is. Um, one of my favorite ways, and this is not diabetes, but, but this process actually happens in, in patients with diabetes, is you can literally um, remove the inside of the retina, right? Look through, look a little deeper, 
at something called the retinal pigmented epithelium. And if that's breaking down, then that means we're already very much downstream in, in the process of, of getting diabetic retinopathy or even macular degeneration. And we shouldn't have to wait until we can see those changes just by looking with traditional, traditional instruments in, in the eye. Because if you wait until you can see those changes with um, other less sophisticated instrumentation, it's too late. It's going to be much, much harder to have that patient um, heal their own body. So if you look at the eye, the eye as, there's a number of eye diseases that are affected by nutrition, whether it's dry eye or diabetes or macular degeneration. What is some of the, what's the diet that you recommend and what supplements do you recommend that people take for prevention? Yeah, so, you know, we call all these things different diseases, but I, I think it's all just, one big pot of degeneration, right? That's how, kind of how I think of it. So my recommendations for all of these conditions, quite frankly, are very, very similar. Very similar. So you're always going to hear me say, you must eat fruits and vegetables five to six servings a day. You need to ditch the pasta, the rice, and the sugar. You have to increase the fiber in your diet. How do you do that? Well, you eat, you eat fruits and vegetables. Right? You have to have healthy fats in your diet that come from things like avocados, fatty fishes, and nuts and seeds. Those are like the essentials. For people who are not getting essential nutrients, they really need to supplement. Now, we know from a long, longitudinal group of studies called the age-related eye disease studies and many, many other adjunct studies, that there's a specific group of vitamins that will help delay the onset of macular degeneration in some people. So I tell those people, you must eat the right foods. If you don't think you're eating those right foods, even if you are, you still need to supplement with this, this particular vitamin. So there, you know, everyone needs something a little bit different based on their individual situation. So I like to choose a vitamin company that gives me a little bit of flexibility in what I recommend based on that patient's individual situation. Now, I happen to, to use the I Promise brand of products. So they have a vitamin for patients with diabetes. They have a vitamin for patients with macular degeneration. They have a, a supplement or a vitamin for people with dry eye. They have a general multivitamin that you can team up with some of these other supplements. They even have a supplement that helps block the, the bad uh, effects of blue light coming from cell phones, iPads, computers. Um, it actually has a name. It's called Teen Shield. Why is it called Teen Shield? And then there's one for, for younger children. Because kids are the ones now, these digital natives, as, as we call them, we're going to have decades and decades of exposure of this blue light that we're still not sure what that long-term impact will be, but we sure do know that blue light is not good for the retina. There's just some physiological facts around that, uh, despite the fact that there's not a huge amount of studies to say, oh, it definitely causes this or it causes that. Well, we're not going to wait for 50 years to, to watch you know, melanoma crop up on everyone's skin any more than we are to, to watch you know a whole generation of people de developing um, diabetes and macular degeneration. So so I like that company. Um, you know I think from a provider perspective, you have to understand the ingredients. You have to know what your patients are taking. You need to 
educate yourself in whatever company you choose, right? And make sure that you know how those supplements uh, interact with the patient's vitamins, uh, excuse me, their medicines, I should say, what they eat. And if you're not willing to, to take that kind of a medical history, um, then you need to refer them to Dr. Kerry Gelb. <laughs> but you know, seriously, you need you need to you need to see a holistic functional medicine IDOT. That that's what I call it. There's more and more of us out there every single day. So so that's just one brand that that I happen to like. There are some others. I think Life Extension has some great products. Um, I also subscribe to something called uh, Consumer Lab. ConsumerLab.com. Um, this is a great. Um, great tool it's it's um it's a consumer um it's a consumer group it's not funded by any of the vitamin uh it's not funded by the vitamin industry and i can use that tool to go in and put in a patient's um, the name of their supplement it will tell me what's in their supplement what's, if there's any interaction with their medications and um any contraindications and it does that vitamin have in it what it's supposed to have, right? Because there's a lot of, there are some bad actors in the supplement space, as we all know. But that's why I encourage people, go to your doc, go to a healthcare provider, go to a trusted resource to get the thing that's best for you. How about people that want to make good vision better, like baseball players? Yeah, so same, same reason that I, thank you for saying that. <laughs> I know you're a, a baseball star from years back. So, you know, the same company that I was talking about, I promised, actually also has, um, has a, a vitamin called um, Visual Edge Pro, and it is the official eye vitamin for many of our major league baseball teams and also uh, NFL, NFL um, teams. Um, I think I can do a little bragging. I, I know you're a New York Yankees guy, if I'm not mistaken, but the Red, <laughs> the Red Sox um, just um, adopted, I promise, the, the official sports eye vitamin. So um, I am on the board, as you know, for full disclosure. Um, that's, uh, we're very excited about that. But yeah, you know, if your kids look at a blue light and play in sports, you know, in my office, we would have something to address all of that. I actually use that product to also um, pre-treat pre um, my soccer and football players. Uh, what kind of foods have lutein and zeaxanthin in it that's contained in these supplements? Yeah, so there's a great book called iFoods, written by two Canadian optometrists um, who are moms and who were asked a, a lot, you know, what, what are the foods I need to eat? So some important eye foods. Now, this is a short list, but, but, but these are sort of like maybe the top 10. I'll see if I can squeak out 10. But, you know, red peppers, yellow peppers, kale, spinach, blueberries, berries of any kind, um, you know, the healthy fats like avocados and almonds and walnuts. That's 10 right there, right? <laughs> those, those are some of the ones that are top on the list depending on what your what you, you your preferences are. But I would encourage people that you can go to even, uh, I think it's ifoods.com and there's a nice list of, um, of foods there. You can go to the Ocular Nutrition and Wellness Society website. There are all kinds of iFood lists there as well. Um, but yeah, you know, anything that's a darkly colored fruit or vegetable is most likely to have these special substances that we call carotenoids in them. And those are the substances that protect your eye. You know that old adage, you are what you eat? 
it is true when it comes to the eyes. And those substances protect you from disease, from the sun, and from a whole host of other metabolic insults. Any special spices that contain those? Ah, that's a good question. You know, there's that old song, Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Thyme, <laughs> by that oh-so-famous group. Um, here's my answer to that. All spices are good, right? All spices have, are loaded with antioxidants, um, which is good stuff, right? It's good stuff for you. Um, and so, you know, turmeric, cinnamon, you know, these are all, all some of the, the things that you hear about. And there's a reason for that. Um, they're highly protective, not just in the, in the blood vessels in the eye, but the blood vessels in the heart, the blood vessels in the, in the brain. I have to ask you about omega-3s. Mm, that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get asked about omega-3s all the time. The omega-3 uh, fat industry is a billion-dollar industry in the United States. When you have those kinds of numbers floating around, there's always going to be the chance that um, low-quality omega-3 fatty acids will be on the market, right? Um, so what I tell people is, if you can eat three servings a week of fatty fish or another, high con another food with a high concentration of omega-3s in it, you're way ahead of, of the average person in terms of using your food to prevent disease, right? So a lot of people don't eat this stuff. We, don't, we know that they don't eat this stuff because we know it's not being sold in the U.S., but those substances are things like sardines, mackerel, herring. I think I mentioned avocado, walnuts, right? So those are the more common foods that have fatty acids you must have these in your diet. You must have them in your diet. If you don't have them in your diet, you're going to get dementia. You're going to get um, potentially cancer. You're going to get heart disease. It's just a fact. It, it's in, there are so many studies that say if you don't have these foods in your diet, bad things are going to happen, right? The studies for eating the foods are the most strong. The studies that say you should probably supplement the evidence is a little weaker. I think the reason for that is because there's all, there are wrong doses, there are different types of omega-3 fatty acid supplements. Um, and so that, that makes it very confusing and difficult to sort of get the answers you want out of the study. So bottom line is, if you don't eat three servings a week, you need to take a fatty acid supplement, right? An omega-3 fatty acid supplement. That's the bottom line. Some of my favorites, you know, if, you're, if you can tolerate a tablespoon a day of Carlson's cod liver oil, that's one of the best ways to supplement your diet. You want to eat it with food. It's a really good idea to eat that fat with your dark green leafy vegetables um, because it helps the, uh, the substances in those foods get absorbed a little bit better. Um, you know, the same company that I recommend recommended earlier also has high quality omega-3s and all of their eye vitamins. If you don't have this fat in your brain, um, you're, you're going to get dementia. I mean, there's just, it's just the way it is. And as I said, the eye and the brain are intimately linked. There's even a, a, a pre-concussion treatment program out at um, University of Cincinnati where they actually supplement their, um, their football players with omega-3 fatty acids, a pretty high level of omega-3 fatty acids. 
you got to look at the supplement, you know, ask an expert, you have to look at the active ingredients, which are, are termed DHA and EPA. You need to know the amounts in the balance. Um, if you go to ipromise.com, not to make this an iPromise commercial, um, but it's, this, that's just one I'm most familiar with outside of the Carlson brand. Um, Nordic Naturals is another company that's great, um, but there are, there, are, there are a number of good, trusted companies. And I really encourage people. That's a big one. That, that's, you know, that goes without saying that everybody needs this in their diet. Or is You're so passionate about prevention of disease, diabetes, macular degeneration. What are like three take-homes that you would want people to to go home with after watching this this uh, video podcast? Yeah, I think I've stated them, but let me summarize. <laughs> no soda, eat your fruits and veggies, get your omega threes. And what book are you currently reading right now that you learn? You know so much about this. You're such well, a wealth of information. The, <laughs> it's really, really, really hard to, to sort through through all of the, the insanity. Um, but my the book that I'm reading right now um, is a book. Um, it's called Toxic Staple. It's by Anne Sarkeesian. And it's really an amazing book on, on gut health. And I'd encourage patients and doctors who have chronic trouble with their belly or other symptoms, give this book a read. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's not written by a doctor. It's written by a pissed off grandmother whose entire family um, was found to be gluten intolerant or, or actually have celiac screw. Um, and she really saved, it's a great story. She saved her really entire family from the, the clutches of what I call a discontinuous, episodic, inaccurate, traditional medical medical system. So it's a great read. Um, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes I'll get asked about, you know, how do you see the future? You know, what does the eye exam of the future look like? And I, I give away free advice about this all, all the time. But, you know, in the end, I think I look forward to the day, which is almost here, when I get a genetic map. Right, of a patient's risk, first time they come and see me, that helps me prescribe the best prevention strategy from the first day. Right? There are diagnostic tests in the pipeline that are being combined, as I said, with artificial intelligence that will help us identify diabetes, hypertension, all kinds of other stuff. There are machines that show the earliest sign of eye disease, brain disease, what I call metabolic mishap. And these are going to help us decide which patients need to be seen more or less often. It'll help us give individualized prescriptions for food, supplements, medications, and other prevention strategies that we know will work. There are actually nutrigenomic maps that are coming out that are going to help us prescribe even the right type of foods for patients. You know, there are sensors that are going to allow us to monitor the youngest and the sickest patients on what I call a continuous basis with, without overburdensome trips to the office, right? Um, we're literally, I, I envision this sort of virtual, virtual, what do I call it, virtual community that I access that engages me and the rest of the patients' doctors, right? And peer communities and health coaches for the best advice to get them on a true um, medical path that, that's gonna help them 
And, th and those records are going to be owned by the patients. They're not going to be confusing. There's not going to be conflicting information from, from the medical home, so to speak. And most importantly, it's not going to be loaded with misdiagnosis. So I envision that that day that doctors very shortly will be smarter, more timely, patients will be happier, they'll be healthier. And um, this is a utopia, I think, that we strive for. Um, but, you know, our commitment to patients isn't going to change. Just the tools will be a little bit different, a little bit better. And, you know, there are dangers that come from the misuse of any technology. But the doctor of the future, quite frankly, will serve as the appropriate warning beacon. Um, and, and, and maybe even shun that Hippocratic Oath, right? Um, which, above all, do no harm. You know, I, I think you've heard me lecture before. One of my favorite things to quote is the oldest Chinese medical text that says, the best doctor prevents the disease and the worst doctor um, prevents the full-blown condition or treats the full-blown condition. You know, you're such a wealth of information. Uh, patients don't go see you. They're really missing out. And it really makes me sad that there are people advertising on the internet that they could use their cell phone and look at it and step 10 feet away and get an eye exam. And they would be missing out on all these different, all this different type of advice, prevention of diabetes, prevention of macular degeneration, from all this technology that the optometrist has. If you could just comment on that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, like I just said, there is all this technology out there that people will be able to access and they will have the autonomy to make a decision about whether or not they just want to go on the computer and get a very simple vision test or visit their eye doctor. If they're not convinced that they should get all the tests that I just mentioned, whether they're 10 years old, 5 years old, or 80 years old, then you and I have just done a really bad job. Um, <laughs> to, you know, to be quite frank. And... Um, so yeah, my, my message to patients is make sure you're getting the complete exam. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think innovation is good. It doesn't mean that getting an eye exam remotely or through some new special tools isn't going to be a great thing. Of course, that's going to be great. You know, I have patients who come in who are 95 years old. It's very difficult for them to get a night long. I want to monitor them sometimes very carefully. I actually prescribe a, a home monitoring, monitoring device that I didn't mention earlier that I love that no tall vision makes so that they can do an eye check on a regular basis on themselves at home, right? That's macular degeneration. Macular degeneration. I mean, it's great. Uh, no tall vision makes this. Um, that's where we're going to see things go. We're going to talk to our patients like you and I are talking now, but we're not going to skip examining the tissues that are going to give us the color that are cheaper. Some of them will be used by patients themselves, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be guiding our patients, right? Um, or helping them along the, the, the health pathway. You know, there's a great, not to go off on a lot of tangents, but this is one that I think is, you know, to bring it back to diabetes a little bit, there's an amazing company called Vitality Group right now. And they are really helping patients on a continuous basis figure out how to manage their blood sugar on a daily basis. What are the foods that they need to eat? What are the activities that they need? What time do they need to do it, right? 
because diabetes is such a complex condition that requires a patient to think about it most of the day, unfortunately, which is why I think we should work on prevention. Um, so I'd encourage anybody that has diabetes or has pre-diabetes to go look at the Vitality Group. You can access them right along with your regular doctor, which is a little bit of a tangent. I hope I answered your question. Well, but yeah, getting that right now, getting an eye exam live um, is, is what you have to do. Just what you have to do until that technology truly reaches into the patient's home through the computer or some, through some other new technology, um, then I think that's what we have to do. Yeah, because the eye is so complex. It's so complex. And you know, when we're looking at the heart and the brain, you really don't, you know, you don't want to skip on that. And you, you know, and it's, uh, it's a de facto look. So. You know, it's funny, when I show the film and then after the film, when we showed it to the press, the thing they were most intrigued with was how much does it cost to get your eye image? They wanted to get their eye image. And when I told them, typically it's around $39, they almost fell on the floor. They thought it would be like $1,000 because right. of what you could find for, from an, a retinal image. It's so incredible. Well, you know, that's such a good point. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of my favorite statistics to repeat over and over again is if you take all of the eye care, all of the eye exams that we perform in the U.S., it's 0.04% of all healthcare costs. It's a high value, um, it's a high value test, group of tests, right? I don't want to say we're cheap, we're not. You're getting such an amazing amount of information from this little bitty organ for really a low cost. It's very low cost. And so, you know, one of the things that I, I didn't mention earlier, but that I've been working on for the past four years is a Medicare funded project where we're actually looking at what eye doctors can do to impact cost savings into the healthcare system. And we're finding that there are all kinds of things that we can do, like make sure patients' um, diabetic eye exams are being reported, keep patients out of the emergency room for, for eye injuries that can easily be taken care of in, in the eye doctor's office. Those are two really important, simple interventions that quite frankly, we demonstrated with about 900 practices participating $1 billion in, in cost savings to the healthcare system. So not, not only are we important purveyors of health, but what insurers and the government and everyone else will start to pretty quickly see here is that we're responsible and will be responsible on an ongoing basis for saving healthcare dollars um, by, by prevention, by, by diversion of, of hospitalizations, in you know, a whole host of ways. That, that's exciting. Yeah, I think there was a study that showed that optometrists newly diagnosed 300,000 new diabetics during that, I think, that particular study. Yep. Yeah, and, and not just diabetes, right? There's a whole host of conditions. I mean, there are obviously some more rare ones, um, but not some, some not so rare. I mean, United Health looked at their own data. I think it was up to 7% of all of the conditions that patients had were first diagnosed by through an eye exam. That's an enormous number. Whether it's multiple sclerosis, unfortunately cancer, things wrong with the brain, things wrong with the, with the blood, you know, the heart and all these other things. So the, the emerging data shows that your eye doctor is a very, very important part of essential care. 
Well, I want to thank Dr. Dorothy Hitchmont for spending some time with us. She's a true genius. She's a pioneer. And I just love her to death. And I just thank you so much for doing this. If people want to find out more about you, get some more advice, how can they access you? Yeah, they can uh, go to my website and uh, message me directly. It's drdorothy.org, drdorothy.org. Um, you can follow me at idocdorothy as well on Twitter. Well, thank you so much, and God bless you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. It's my pleasure, Carrie. Good luck with the film. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.